The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Discover a positive path for spiritual living. Welcome to Voices of Unity with Rev. Ellen Debenport. This is Voices of Unity, and I'm Ellen Debenport. This is a show that invites different new thought leaders to share their wisdom and expertise. It helps you dive deep into spiritual topics so you can discover new ideas and practices to enhance your life. I'm the host and kind of an MC for this show. The guests for Voices of Unity are the real stars. They are Unity ministers and others who can share something special they've learned, a kind of a body of work. So they're not just one-time guests. They stay for six or eight weeks so we can truly explore their areas of special interest. Sometimes they'll talk about Unity teaching specifically, and probably more often it'll just be generally related to spiritual practice. So today, Reverend Ken Daigle is back. He's from Unity in San Francisco, and we are spending these weeks talking about science and spirituality. Thanks for coming back, Ken. Uh, Delighted to be here, Ellen. How are you today? I am fine. Last week, Ken was sitting right here in the studio with me. I could see him. We'll try not to talk over each other now that we're in different cities. But we started last week with neuroplasticity which is the brain's ability to change, and that affects our spiritual life in a lot of ways. The brain literally can form new neural pathways. That's how it heals, but it's also how we learn new things and, I suppose, develop new consciousness. So today we're focusing on the brain in terms of prayer and meditation, although, Ken, I saw you're also going to talk about how complaining changes the brain which might make me really <laughs> uncomfortable. is a two-way street. Yeah. <laughs> so as we talk, feel free to join in or ask a question. If you're listening live today, it's um, August 21st. The number is 816-251-3555. So Ken, just take it away. Oh, thanks, Ellen. It is so good to be back, and it is always a blessing to dive into any topic where we're looking at spirituality and our interface with the world. One of my favorite quotes, of course, is um, uh, Pierre de Chardin's, we're spiritual beings having a human experience and understanding how our physical bodies work in connection and in cooperation with spiritual laws and spiritual practices is a unique and special gift that this century has provided us. Science is exploding with new ideas, new revelations every day, and even just trying to keep up. And the, the gift of the internet that you can go on and search and have access to the databases of major universities and scientists who are all exploring the edges of our understanding and consciousness just lights me up because what it shows me is that what our 
co-founders, Charles and Myrtle, and all the New Thought teachers knew that there is only one, and that one is constantly present right here and right now. And as we interact with it, it interacts with us. And it's just a phenomenal give and take dance of spirituality and humanity. And how that comes together in our lives is what we get to create. So that's why I'm loving this topic. Thank you for saying yes to it, Ellen. I, I saw a quote that our brains are like Play-Doh. They can be shaped like a ball. And at first I was having resistance to that idea. I was like, wait, wait, our brains are like Play-Doh? No. Because as a kid in school and through my life, it's always been, you know, your brain stops developing when you're 25. That's it. You know, you've you got to take care of the brain cells you have. But what we know now, and we talked about last week, is our brain is constantly creating new neurons, constantly creating new matter. And the research on what you can do with your brain and meditation and prayer are really powerful. You know, through new neuroplasticity, your brain can be redesigned. It's, neuroplasticity works by repeatedly and specifically targeting different areas of the brain. And at any age, we can learn new skills, we can increase our intelligence. We can develop more emotional intelligence and even unlearn habits, detrimental behaviors and beliefs. Okay. But however, as we mentioned, we can also do it for the worse. I we can also take on new behaviors that can lead us down paths we may not really enjoy. Yeah, I was going to say some of the things I've made with Play-Doh did not turn out well. <laughs> me too. In fact, I don't know that I'd be sitting here talking to you about this if I hadn't gone down some of those paths. So, you know, mm -hmm. back to the old adage, you know, all paths lead you to God. As you know about me and I've shared before with other people, I, I went to spirituality through a real dark night of the soul and addiction. And coming through the 12-step program and coming through recovery and re-engaging with the spiritual practices and beliefs enabled me to rebuild my brain, to literally rewire it. Because our, our beliefs are what can change our brain. If we believe there's no choice, there is no choice in our brain. If we believe that things are against us, that is what our brain will see. That is what the life we will create. I mean, it really boils down, and science is now proving the fact that thoughts are things, they literally shape matter. And in this instance, gray matter. And as you alluded to, I wanted to talk a little bit about that from the, from the concept of complaining and negativity. Complaining actually does change the brain. And I would guess you know and I know someone who is constantly negative. They're never satisfied with mm, anything. A few, or yes. anyone. Yeah, just they happen to show up, sometimes even in unity churches. Mm -hmm. You know, they may <laughs> even sit in our positive thinking classes. Uh -huh. And the negative thoughts and beliefs that they hold manifest as complaints in the world. And it's not that they're uh, purposely trying to be disruptive, but it is a pattern that's established through learned behaviors. And we all complain from time to time. Of course, it's extremely rare is the person who does not complain. 
even ministers. I know it's hard to believe out there, but some of our ministers actually do complain. No. And I like to think about complaint too is also when you catch yourself in it is an opportunity to understand what you really value, right? If you're complaining about something, there's something out of line. Mm -hmm. There's something out of line in your heart space and your understanding of what should be. And the reframe from complaint to seeking solution is the first step. But people who constantly complain, the ones we have in our lives that seem to show up for us are, are gifts because they're caught in a brain pattern or rut. Their neurons in their brain have been trained by repetition to see and feel the same things over and over. There are two different kinds that I like to talk about. It's chronic complainers, brains that have been wired to fixate about what is wrong. Their anxiety leads them to ruminate over time that can lead to depression or other mental disorders. These kind of complaints leave the person unable to truly see the pain and suffering of others. So they sometimes turn your difficulties into their own opportunity to complain. (laughs) Those are the people who uh, aren't really there for you because they're stuck in their head. So there are also people who complain, and I've been one of them, to get attention. When I came back from Unity Village last week when I was with you, I walked into my first day back at work and there was a flood. The restaurant in the building next door to ours here in San Francisco, their dishwasher pipe had broken and it was emptying into our building. Oh, and yes. (laughs) And this was your first day back from sabbatical. So you were supposed to be all peaceful and centered, Uh right? I was supposed to be rested and ready to go. (laughs) And I am finding myself with Floods of water coming into the building. Nasty, disgusting water. (laughs) It's like, okay, how am I having uh, my prayer chaplain services this weekend? How am I having Sunday services? How am I having anything? We have a surf pro here ripping out walls and carpets and sucking up water. And it just won't stop. And the restaurant doesn't want to close down. And I'm going, but you can't have your business at my expense. And and I found myself in less than a peaceful situation. <laughs> Did you <laughs> it complain? It was not my finest moment, even after three months of rest and oh. meditation. But it all came around. Because we, with the chef from the restaurant, who's an amazing individual, sought a solution together. We sought a way that this could all work out. And as of yesterday at 5 p.m., it all did. (laughs) So now we get to put in new floors. We get to put in new carpet. We get to put in new walls. We get to repaint it all. And someone else is paying for it. So (laughs) was it worth it? I'm not sure yet. (laughs) I'm too in the middle of it. But what I'm trying to do is what I value, trying to think about what I value. I value this space, this space we call our spiritual home, this place where we all come together. And the intrusion on it and the disruption of it was disquieting for me. Mm -hmm. So none of us want to feel negative or depressed or anxious, but damaging behaviors, when they get repeated over and over in our head, lead to these thought processes that lead to changed behaviors. If this happens to you all the time in your life, if you're not conscious about it, all of a sudden a pattern uh, starts to develop. 
and you see everything that happens not as an opportunity to get to somewhere else but as me it's happening to me again to me again my first sponsor in 12 steps said to me can things are not happening to you they're happening for you mm. did you believe <laughs> it like, took me a long time to wrap my head around that one mm -hmm. well so let me, I hate to argue in favor of complaining, but aren't we sort of <laughs> wired this way? I mean, didn't we need to look for the saber-toothed tiger that might be coming out of the woods? Yeah, exactly. In fact, in our brain chemistry, what scientists are telling us now is that actually negative uh, behaviors, negative attitudes, and negative things, adversity – actually have more power in the neurons in our brain. Mm -hmm. They actually, we buy hereditary by the people who paid attention to the negative things in our distant past and survived the saber-toothed tigers, passed on their genes to people like you and me. So we are hardwired to see it negative first. We are hardwired to develop the patterns for our own protection. But there are no saber-toothed tigers up there right now. <laughs> and I look at it, too, from this point, because if you turn on some of the news channels, there are saber-toothed tigers on every channel, right? If it's Fox News or MSNBC or CNN, someone's always the villain. Mm -hmm. Someone's always out to get you or take something from you. So the understanding that while there may not be tigers out there, there are still bogeymen being created in our lives and we react to it. That kind of repetition of believing that we are in danger creates a brain pattern that can make opportunities invisible to us, can make people who are really trying to help us and just love us not even enter our sphere of vision. It takes conscious attention and what we like we talked about yesterday with new ways to program your body, your mind, your new neural pathways by using physicality, kinetic energy to change your brain patterns, you can consciously choose to focus on what's possible rather than what's going wrong. So there are many different ways to do it. And I have tons of research I'd like to talk about and things about how we can all interact but when we repeatedly and consistently focus on the negative our brain rewires and then we create the patterns then we are have more to complain about but now i'm not saying you should be constantly constantly happy okay that's you know, that, my question that's, there are going to be yeah. days when you walk in and the place is flooded mm -hmm. so yeah. we just say nope i'm blissful no matter what <laughs> <laughs> That's its own form of mental health challenge. That's its own. <laughs> I'm glad uh, to hear spirit, it. Spiritual, spiritual bypassing. I walked into the restaurant around the corner on Friday when my sanctuary had flooded again and it was everywhere. And I was not a minister. <laughs> <laughs> right? Or even the a nice person. Chef I was screaming at oh. <laughs> was not out to get me. And I had to clean that up later. But no, those are real. Spiritual bypassing, for those of you who don't know the term, I heard a definition of it once that is great, is pretending to be you're more spiritually advanced than you really are. Mm. Right? 
Oh, I'm fine. It's all good. Well, right. On Thursday and Friday, Divine Ellen, her. it was not all good around here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was not all good. And pretending isn't what I'm asking it to do. But in every situation, every situation in my life, every situation I know of, there has been the seed, the potential for the oak tree to grow out of it, mm. for the life that I really want to be living. And in the midst of the pain and the sorrow and the hurt and the negativity, if I can remember that, I will start actively looking for it, open my mind to what's possible. Right. right? Well, before you get into um, practices for getting out of that complaining syndrome, we have a caller. Let me get him. Okay. Her. This is Tyler. Are you there? Yes, yes. So what's your Good question? Morning. Well, I just wanted to um, identify with your talk about neuroplasticity because I find myself uh, sometimes in my own stories and ruminating over these past stories and they become identity. I even catch myself nowadays as I've tried to learn to be more mindful, thinking to myself as I'm sharing a story. Here I am sharing the same story again. Am I not tired of this story myself? Mm -hmm. But my, my point is that I think that your point is that neuroplasticity or these neural pathways are happening all the time through society and family. So um, I'm just excited to hear more ideas of how to challenge myself in my times of affirmation and prayer with using the body. Yeah. Well, Tyler, thank you for, for your call and for your question. Can I ask you, when you catch yourself in those moments when you're telling the same story over and over again, are you the victim of the story or are you the victor of the story? Are you transcending the story? Well, I think even some of the stories are silly jokes, you know, even playful platitudes that I notice I tell about myself and I think, you know, is that really like the predominant thing that I'm focusing my life on being nowadays? It's an old story like, oh, I loved a thrift shop. I used to love that. And I used to talk about it all the time. I'm like, who cares? Why, why do I, I was, I was proud of it. Mm -hmm. Thrifty. And but, um, but, but in it, I was still a victim. Yes, I was not the victor of the story. Now that I look at it from a larger point of view, I can see more victor point of view evolving. Yes, be more mm -hmm. stepping out of this old story and seeing it predominantly as a story I've been repeating. Also factual information, but also things I've developed into more of a story. In most of it, I am the victim, yeah. <laughs> I'm learning to evolve out of it. Oh, welcome to the human race, right? So we all, right, right. We all do that on occasion when we're telling the story because we're processing it. So one of the tips that I would uh, bring up and, and I've used in my life is having someone you really trust to process them with you, to to absolutely know the truth with you. Especially like I had a friend call me yesterday and his dog, which he's had for 10 years or 11 years, his dog passed away mm. and he was just grief stricken. And he's a practicing Buddhist and he, he loves the principles. And he was going, but you know, I know that, you know, there's no uh, life without death. There's no birth without death. And he, he was going through the principles. And it's like, 
And if you didn't love this dog and if it didn't mean anything, you wouldn't feel it. How can you not feel the wholeness of your being is feeling it all? The wholeness of your adventure in this human body is to be able to cry, to be able to love so much that you physically hurt when something you love is taken from you. And no one should ever take that from you. No one. You should feel it. You should know it. You should breathe into it because in the midst of that sorrow or in that midst of that disappointment for something that you really wanted that didn't come true is your love for it, for the dog that passed, the person you miss, the touch, the job you didn't get. You should grieve. That is part of the emotions. If there's only one presence and one power, God, if there's only one in the universe, then everything is a part of it. The grief and the celebration, the love and the pain of separation. It is all one. So there's the great paradox. Yeah, there will be moments I complain. There will be moments when I feel like the world is against me. What I just don't want to do is stay there. So I have people in my life, Tyler, that I let tell me, is there another way to see this? Or do you want to stay here? Do you need to stay here longer? Are you ready to let it go? Are you ready to make a new story? And some days it's the answer is no, I'm not ready yet. I, I want to hang on here a little longer. This hurts too much and I'm too scared. But as I develop my muscles and as I develop my brain patterns, I get to see it differently. I get to change the situation by changing me. And as we know, prayer is one of the most powerful things to do that. Because as we're taught here in Unity and all New Thought Churches, that prayer does not change God. Prayer does not change the universe. What prayer does is changes us for the universe. Changes our thinking so that we may be lifted to the higher place, that we may see the possibility, and that we can grieve and celebrate at the same time. That makes sense, Tyler? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. Wow. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Tyler, for calling. Yeah, thank you. Uh, can have we? Have a day. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Can we have a few minutes before the break? And we have another caller. Uh, this is Alex. Are you there? Hi, Ken and Ellen. How's it going? Hi. Thank you so much for taking my call today. My um, pleasure. I was thinking about um, what you guys were saying about practicing positivity. And I'm one of those people who really tries to look on the bright side in every situation that I'm in. But I noticed that your, your title of your, your show today is Prayer, Mantra, and Meditation. So my question to you is... You know, when we constantly affirm positivity, to me sometimes it feels like it's almost becoming a worry stone, like I'm worrying away at it and I'm saying the same affirmations and I'm affirming the same truths again and again. So my question is, how can I mix it up and, you know, find new ways to affirm positivity in my life? Mm. What a great question. Uh, Thanks for your question there. Well, there's... Different ways for every person on the planet. But one of my favorite 
little mantra for it is um, wash, rinse, and repeat. Um, I don't know if you know that it used to be on every shampoo bottle. Their instructions, the directions on the back were wash, rinse, and repeat. And again, my, my same sponsor, that, that, that beautiful man who first helped me when I entered 12-step program, um, I said, well, you know, I, I'm really, I don't know about this 12-step. It, it, it feels like brainwashing to me. And he looked at me and said, but Ken, your brain needs washing. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And, yeah, right? And it was like, oh, yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. My my best thinking got me into this situation, right? So one of the first things I would say, Alex, is to uh, to give yourself some slack, some some break, and to understand that what you're trying to do here is shift the very core, your fundamental belief system, and that's not something that's done instantly. And it is something that is going to take and to actually make the new neural pathways in the brain takes repetition. It takes consistent repetition. But there are some amazing things that can help. So you were talking about mantras, about saying the same affirmation over and over again. And what I would suggest that you can mix into that is uh, affirmative prayer or Unity's five-step prayer method. So while you still have the mantra that you want, understanding that in affirmative prayer, what we're doing, and Unity's incredible model of it, of affirmative prayer, is that we don't talk about the problem because in every moment, the solution already exists. So in the moment, we may have to shift our affirmation, our mantra into, I see things clearly now. I am open to doing this differently. I am open to new pathways so that your mind can be reset, so that your mind can even perceive that there's another way. Because we keep trying to do the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So what is your favorite mantra, Alex? Um, Well, one of my favorite mantras is that, um, you know, my day is ease and grace. And I find myself affirming that... uh, five or six times in a day. Oops, there's our break music. Sorry to interrupt you, Alex. Stay with us. We will be back with Reverend Ken Daigle from Unity of San Francisco, and I hope with Alex, as we continue this conversation about prayer and meditation and the brain. Listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. This programming is made possible through the generous donations of listeners like you. If you feel inspired by this programming, we invite you to contribute. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make your offering today. Thank you for your support. Here's Eric Butterworth with a Unity Mindful Moment. 
Jesus taught the infinite potential of man and the influence of the allness of God. And he said, what I have done, you can do. This is the missing link in Christian religion. All that I have done, you can do too. Any great demonstration of law is repeatable. We tend to spend too much time looking to the people who demonstrate the law rather than the act of demonstration itself. Whenever anything is done, it can be done. The principle is what God has done, God can do. And God can do for you because you are involved in the same infinite law. Practical metaphysics then deals with a repeatable Christ. But if Jesus demonstrated the law, the law is demonstrable, therefore it can be done, and it can be done at any time by one who is in that consciousness. To pick up the Eric Butterworth book, Practical Metaphysics, go to unity.org and click on Shop. If you've been on a spiritual path for a long time, what can you read that's new and exciting? Try Unity Magazine. It's designed for the seasoned spiritual student with in-depth articles and interviews about spiritual practices and philosophies. Our columnists share their own faith journeys and cover healing, science, and psychology with even a little scripture thrown in. You'll read some classic authors and some new ones. Get a free trial issue at unitymagazine.org. Follow Unity Online Radio on Facebook and Twitter and stay up to date with all your favorite shows. Become a fan by clicking the like button. You can join in with a Facebook Live event or just like and share our post. Be the first to find out about any big special guests that might be appearing on the air or any events at Unity Village. We want to hear from you. Make sure you leave any questions or comments about Unity programming. Thanks for listening. Get ready to stretch your thinking and question your beliefs. Tune into Metaphysical Romp with Reverend Paul Hasselbeck every Monday at 10 a.m. Central on Unity Online Radio. Paul, along with his co-hosts, Reverends Bill and Cher Holton, will challenge your thinking and inspire you to open your mind and look outside the box. Discover Unity's spiritual laws and take a deep dive into the world of metaphysics and apply life-changing concepts today. Tune in Mondays at 10 Central on Unity Online Radio. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Voices of Unity with Reverend Ellen Devonport. We're back with Voices of Unity. I am Ellen Devonport, talking today to Reverend Ken Daigle from Unity in San Francisco. Ken is our first guest on this new show. He'll be with us on Voices of Unity through September to share what he has learned about science and spirituality. I mean, we know science increasingly is proving what the mystics have always told us about the universe or God. And Ken, when we went to break, we were in the middle of a conversation with Alex let me bring her back. Alex, you're back now. Hi there. Where were we? Mantras, affirmations. Yeah, yeah. so Alex, you were talking about how it feels like you get stuck in the mantra and it's not taking. Were you able to, did you hear our, our show from last week? I did. I really did. Now, have you been able to apply any of that, like physicality? Because I'm going to talk uh, here in a little bit, I'm going to get into some of the brain uh, understanding and functionality. Different hemispheres of our brain interpret data and interpret the world in completely different ways. It's like they have different personalities. But when we can, uh, for our 
right hemisphere, it learns kinesthetically. So the right hemisphere of your brain learns by movement. So if you're saying a mantra and you can incorporate some kind of movement with it, it accelerates the learning for the right hemisphere of your brain. And then that data is processed by the left hemisphere. What we're going to talk about in a little bit here is meditation too, how meditation can link the different hemispheres of the brain. So if you're wanting to break through in a, uh, a mantra, an affirmation, a belief system, part of it is to change up your physical patterns as well as your mental ones. Because we are in this body and our bodies become habitualized. We do things the same way until it hurts us too much to do it. So I would suggest that you incorporate some of those ideas of snapping your fingers as you're saying the affirmation, moving, uh, singing your affirmations, because it engages rhythm, it engages your whole body to be able to sing. Um, and you have a really clear voice, I imagine you uh, can really do that and belt out your affirmations. You know, think of yourself as Ethel Merman <laughs> on affirmations. <laughs> You, I am swell. I am great. <laughs> so, Alex, thank uh, you for calling. Ethel Merman is a unitech. That would have been really interesting to see, wouldn't it, Alan? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know we'd get to singing today, but <clears throat> <laughs> I know it wasn't on the it wasn't on the the plan. Yeah, yeah. God had other ideas. So, Alex, thanks for calling. Thank uh, you for taking my call. Sure. If anyone else would like to call in, uh, if you're listening live on August 21st, the number is 816-251-3555. So, Ken, what's next? Meditation? Lots of people yeah, are interested in I, I just in want to touch that. briefly on uh, – I want to talk about meditation because meditation has been proven as lots of scientific data now that shows that meditation actually changes your brain. People who – they've done brain scans – of long-term meditators, long-time meditators, uh, actually have thicker uh, gray matter in their brain. D different areas of their brain, their prefrontal cortex is larger, and they're able to process information and stay calmer because of it. And they can watch this in real time now in the brain. But you don't have to be a long-time meditator or have done it for decades in order for it to have immediate effects. There's also science that actually proves that just doing five minutes of meditation a day or five minutes in the morning, five minutes in the evening literally changes your brain and makes you uh, your blood pressure go down. It makes you able to make wiser decisions. There was a study that I was reading about, which was really phenomenal. They had a group of people that they taught mindfulness to for six weeks, six weeks. And then they did another control group that they taught uh, critical analytical thinking skills too for six weeks. At the end of the six weeks, they put them together in a very, very uh, rigid and controlled environment, but it was a math quiz that they had to take in front of very stern-faced, very dour-looking administrators of this test. Mm. And the people who meditated did better on the test. They remained calmer. Their blood pressure didn't spike. They did cognitively better on the test than people who were trained to do the very skills the test was checking for. Meditators who had no experience or no six weeks of training in that skill set still did better than the people who had it. And it 
the research is still exploring it, but they believe it's because they were able to access all of their brain through the power of meditation. That meditation balances the hemispheres of the brain. And as I was alluding to with Alex, what's amazing is how our brain functions. If Ellen, have you ever watched Jill Bolte Taylor's uh, TED Talk about oh, her stroke? Oh yeah, insight? she had a stroke and ended up being totally right brain for a while. Yeah, she had a stroke. She's a brain scientist at Harvard. She actually was mapping the neuro circuitry of the brain as part of her job. You know, it was her day job. And she woke up one morning and she realized that she couldn't do anything and that she was having a stroke. And she thought, ah, isn't this cool? I get to study <laughs> the brain from the inside out. And then she thought, a second later, and she said, oh, but I'm too br busy to have a stroke. This can't happen. I have <laughs> things to do. <laughs> and um, she gives this amazing TED Talk. For those of you who haven't seen it, just type in her name, Jill Bolte-Taylor, and it'll come up on your, on your browser. Uh, but phenomenal. What I learned from watching her and then reading about her more uh, is she called it a stroke of insights. And she talks about how our two hemispheres of our brain operate. Now, our right hemisphere of the brain is all about the present moment, all about the right here, the right now. It thinks in big pictures and learns by kinesthetic movements of our body. Information in the form of energy streams rushes into the right hemisphere from all over and explodes in our brain as a collage of smells, pictures, tastes, sounds. And in our right hemisphere, we know we're connected to everything, that there is no separation between us and every other being on the planet. Right in the right hemisphere of our brain, we see each other as brothers and sisters in this journey and as part of this one human family. In this moment, we are perfect and whole and beautiful. That right center of the brain, Jill talks about on that morning of her stroke, or she was losing the left hemisphere of her brain, but the right hemisphere was taking over and she was in the shower. She knew she had to get to work and she didn't know what was wrong, but she was leaning on the shower wall and she talks about a moment where she couldn't differentiate the cells of her arm from the cells of the tiles of the shower. And that they all were moving back and forth in this continuous flow of oneness and ease and grace. Mm. That moment is what I have experienced in those beautiful moments of meditation that come in little glimpses where I understand that I am not limited to this body. I am so much bigger than this body than everything is working together in one seamless whole. But our left side of our brain operates quite differently. The left hemisphere thinks linearly and methodically. It thinks in past and future. It thinks in words and in language and in time. And it picks out the vast details from this collage in our right hemisphere of, of sounds and scents and images and smells. And it picks up facts and it says, oh, that's what that is. And it associates it with something in our past or it projects it to something in our future. Look out. And 
our left hemisphere will tell you what might happen based on the memories of what's happened to you in the past. It tells you about what you've learned from history and that you should be worried. It is the brain chatter that connects us to our internal world to the external world of our life. It's the connector from that beautiful bliss of the right hemisphere, the oneness, to how do I operate? How do I survive? How do I get through this day? How do I fill my shopping cart with groceries? How do I pay for them? It helps us to get to work on time and pick up the groceries to do all the things that are important to us. But most important, it's the voice inside of us that says, I am. I am. And when we say I am in that hemisphere of the brain, we see ourselves as separate. We see ourselves as one, but not part of the one. I am a one whole individual. And when we are solid individuals, we have our own unique experiences. We believe that things can happen to us. With a little effort, and a little bit of work, we can open up the, the 300 million <laughs> connections between the two hemispheres of the brain and get them to cooperate more fully. Now, we can't live totally in our right hemisphere, as Jill pointed out, because she wasn't able to function. She couldn't understand language. She couldn't underspeak. She couldn't do any of the things we need to do to be in this world. But in the right hemisphere, we can experience the bliss that I would call God, the bliss of knowing no separation, of oneness. And it's really an important learning that from a stroke, from having someone's life changed, but with the awareness of what's happening in the brain, today we can understand how meditation can help us to experience the divine, experience God, experience bliss. Okay, I want more of that right brain. <laughs> I know, I mean, don't you? I understand yeah, I need the left the brain to just to get through life, but yeah. surely we could be better balanced. And in the West, of course, Everything we do with the left brain is what gets rewarded. Mm, right. Thinking, right. making good grades, you know, being organized. Yeah. And you and, and you and the right brain is derided. You will never make a living at that. Yeah. Oh. You're in la la land. You're just snow, snowflake. Uh huh. Right. Uh huh. Yeah. Where are you, Ken? You right. know, your teachers at school. Where are you? Mm-hmm. I'm in my I'm in my right brain. Thank you. I like it here. <laughs> Okay, so how do we practice being there without having a stroke? <laughs> so one of the easiest ways that I, I do, we talked last week about moving meditations, and I love them, but I also like sitting. I like sitting still. And uh, Robert Brummett, Reverend Robert Brummett, hello, my, uh, you know, I think he taught more Unity ministers than anyone else. He's been teaching at Unity Institute and Unity, um, all the incarnations of our ministerial program for so long. Uh, teaches insight meditation uh, and Vipassana, and I love going to his retreats. Robert is a font of wisdom yes. on many font, uh, many fronts, and uh, the practice really helped me to understand that everything can be your meditation. 
people frequently will say to you, well, you know, I tried to meditate, but I, I, my mind was just going crazy. I couldn't. Mm -hmm. And I say to them now, that was your meditation. The attempt to silence your mind was your meditation. So go do it again. Just sit still. Focus on your breath. Take the moment just to relax. Take the moment to get calm. And then just notice what happens. Notice where your body is touching the table or the floor or the wall. Notice how your body interacts with the chair. Notice where you're holding tension. And then notice the thoughts that arise like they're a train passing through town. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Written on the side of that train is the words that said, you should get up and get out of here. <laughs> oh, look, that car says, you've got too much to do to waste this time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. There's the to-do list. Look, my whole to-do list is written on that train. How fascinating. Yeah, and then the next train car says, no, no, you should be meditating. You shouldn't be thinking about anything. You're doing it wrong. You're a terrible meditator. <laughs> That's the clever one, right? Yeah. That's the clever one. No, this is your meditation. Hmm. Is that so? What we talked about last week, if you could meet every one of those thoughts that pass through with just the question, is it so? Mm -hmm. Or just indifference. Hmm. It becomes your meditation. Again, you know, my friends are the best teachers for me. And my current sponsor, I was sitting in a, uh, an AA meeting recently, and um, I had a, a buddy of mine from New York visiting, and we were at an AA meeting here in San Francisco. And a homeless person in, the, in a neighborhood where I go to AA meetings, there's lots of them. And, uh, and this is a regular at the meeting. He is uh, constantly there. And this particular day, he hadn't bathed in a while. So he was sitting across the aisle from us, and he was really ripe. And oh. we're sitting there, and I'm listening to the meeting. And after my friend from New York said, I was trying to meditate the whole time in that meeting, and I just couldn't because my senses just – I got my, my, I was overwhelmed with the owner. It just ruined my meditation. And my sponsor looked at him and said, that was your meditation. <laughs> that was your meditation. So you think that it all has to be perfect before you can meditate. Right. It has to be the right setting, the right lights, the right da-da-da. Stand in the middle of a busy intersection. And while you're waiting for the light to change, you can meditate. Mm -hmm. Now, waiting out of, you know, in your car. When you get to the stop sign, don't worry. Meditate. One minute meditations can change your life. If you're like me, Ellen, I don't know how far you live from the village, but I have a 20 minute commute here to the office and I only live five miles away. You know, it's the city. Mm -hmm. But um, but every time I have to stop either for traffic or a stop sign or a traffic light, I remember that I can reset in that moment and I can reset in those. And what happens is that kind of life of meditation helps preserve our brain. There's something about what fires in our brain cells when we get to that place of just observation that the two hemispheres of our brain start to speak to each other. 
And also it reduces the me center. I think from what I'm reading and what I'm understanding, I think it's because we are more connected to the right hemisphere when we allow it. We're silencing or just noticing because don't try and push it down, right? It's not going to work that way. Just try and notice the random thoughts that cross your brain. But when we do, we're able to access the right hemisphere of the brain. And the right hemisphere of the brain doesn't know me, my problems, my story, like Tyler had called uh, earlier about my story and telling my story. Well, the right hemisphere doesn't know my story. It knows beauty. It knows wholeness. It knows bliss. Ah. So, hmm. we're going to let some of that in. And that's all you have to think. That's all you have to do is just observe. Observe your life. And if a mantra helps you in that, so if, if Alex, if you're still listening... This is where your mantra can come in handy. Just repeat your mantra and see when the mantra fades away and the laundry list comes back in. See where the mantra gets overtaken with something else and gently just put yourself back over and over and over again. I'm always amazed when I'm sitting in those meditations, when I just do that, that I really do lose time. Again, because time is a left brain activity, mm-hmm. right? Right brain doesn't know time, doesn't know past and future. It knows now. And there's the, the whole struggle, the spiritual and the human, the bliss, the pain. And if we want to be whole, like we talked about it, we have to do both. We have to be both. We have to understand it. And you talk so brilliantly about that in Hell in the Hallway. Because, you know, there are those moments of hell, absolute hell in our lives. And it's that journey of stillness that can take us to the to the window, to yeah. the light. How have you applied that in your life? Um not as not as well as I should. I have all kinds of judgments about my failures as a meditator. So mm. I'm, I may need to let some of that go. Um, <laughs> is that written on the side of that train? That's yeah, it is. It's on the train. Uh, Hell in the Hallway can refer to as a book that I wrote about being in that place when life as you know it has changed, but you don't know what's coming next. So sometimes it follows a death or a divorce or a job loss, or there are lots of ways to end up in the hallway. But I wanted to ask you, you have talked openly about being in recovery, mm-hmm. and I think I've heard that meditation can help with addiction. Oh, absolutely. It, it is a huge part. It, science is proving that too, but the 11th step of the 12-step prayer process is, uh, uh, is, is prayer and meditation. <laughs> right? mm. Sought through prayer, prayer meditation. meditation. To make a conscious connection with our higher power through prayer and meditation. Mm-hmm. So it is literally written into the 12 steps of recovery, but actually it does. A growing number of studies that show that uh, given its effects on the self-control re- uh, regions of the brain helps us regulate our impulses, uh, our fear-based left brain thinking, Meditation can be very effective in helping people recover from various types of addiction. Um, there were 
uh, people who were smoking, who med- meditation and mindfulness helped them quit smoking. And I know that when I went into recovery, meditation and prayer, affirmative prayer and meditation were hugely important for me to shift my understanding and to stop the monkey mind. What meditation does, it stops the monkey, can help you stop the monkey mind chatter. And in 12-step recovery, we talk about having the monkey on your back. You know, that part of your being that says, oh my God, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to, I need it, I need it, I need it. <laughs> and nothing else matters. You you roll over people, you roll over opportunities, you roll over your own self to get to whatever your drug of choice is. Mm-hmm. And meditation slows that down. And it actually rewires the brain so that you can think of something else. When I was quitting smoking, I was, uh, I learned this great technique too. And it said that, you know, uh, nicotine cravings are over in a minute. And I was like, what? And they said, yeah, if you can sit through a minute, your nicotine craving will cease. So in the physiology, physiology of the body, the actual craving, the, the, the chemicals that are saying, you need this, you need this, feed me, feed me, uh, will only last for one minute. And if you can meditate through that minute, it passes and you're able to see the open choices in front of you other than that know one. That. So I think it's really an amazing uh, little little tip. And it's, it saved me. It saved me. I, I started, I was insane. I started smoking, talking about neuroplasticity. I started smoking at 40 years old. <laughs> Wait, you started at what? 40? Hmm? You started at 40? I started at 40. It was in the midst of my other addiction. And I started, I picked up cigarettes in the middle of it too. So uh-huh. uh, I was like, cigarettes were the last thing I gave up. I gave up everything else first. And we talk about it as you give up the behaviors in the order they're killing you. <laughs> oh, whoa. <laughs> All right. Okay. That's recovery. Yeah. In 12 step, right? But, uh, but what helped me? And what made the difference for me is when I went into recovery, I already knew unity. I had been steeped in the principles uh, before I made that wrong turn. And then I had it when I came out Uh and I dove in and I started studying and I started going just not to Sunday services. I started going to midweek classes and I started the daily practice. And it's the repetition. It's the daily practice in my absolute abundance course we teach how the daily use of meditation, the daily use of meditation to set an intention for your day, just to set in your attention. And in as uh, Gary Zukov in Seat of the Soul talks about, is that intention is everything. Even if you're unconscious of your intention, it's everything. So what meditation does for you is allows you to consciously set your intention for the day mm-hmm. so that you're, what you're intending to happen, you will manifest in this world. Do you, now, I, I know we're, we're right up against the, our time, but I want to know if there's uh, uh, other trick, I want one other techniques, other ways that you do it because you're amazing in your writing, in your clarity, in your centeredness, Ellen. For those of us who know you, you're like a rock, calm. <laughs> right? I'll take that as a compliment. But you're just so calm and you're solid. And uh, it looks from 
this seat. Like, you understand that. Hmm. Um, hmm. My primary practice is writing, and it, it takes the form of a dialogue. I can ask questions and write down what seems to be the answer that comes. You know, call them angels, spirit guides, not entirely sure where that answer is coming from, my own higher self. But if I if I write it as I go, and I can type really fast, so this works for me, um, it keeps me focused. It keeps my mind from wandering. Right. You're in the zone. Yeah. And then I also have a record of it. Okay. They're oh, going to play us off in two, one. Here we go. Can We're going to have to continue this. Well, I'm glad we can continue this. Next week is is what? Mind-body connection, I think. Mind-body connection, yeah. Looking yeah. at the work of Amy Cuddy. So we will continue with Science and Spirituality with our long-term guest, Reverend Ken Daigle, next week. Thanks so much for joining Voices of Unity. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Dr. Mona Lisa, and I've been a medical intuitive for over 30 years. Let me help you find new ways to heal physical and emotional problems. Be a part of my Healthy Living Intuitively podcast studio audience every week. Follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mona Lisa fan page, and Instagram, Dr. Mona Lisa One, to get that information. I answer audience questions, and you can learn from people calling in that might be dealing with the same things that you are. Follow Healthy Living Intuitively, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, and wherever you get your podcasts.